0: All right, Alexander, let's do a video dedicated to Ukraine commander Zaluzhny and what is going on there. Uh, Mark Milley, a few days ago, or spokesman for uh, Mark Milley, a few days ago said that uh, he had spoken to Zeluzhny and all is good. We had uh, Danilov. He came out with a statement just a day or two ago, and he said that Zeluzhny reported to the commander-in-chief the other day and Podoliak has also come out with a statement saying that all is good with uh, Zolushny. Then you have Ria Novosti reporting that Zolushny has had uh, surgery uh, for head and uh, leg injuries and while he will be okay he will not be able to perform his duties as commander-in-chief. One thing is certain illusionni was a commander who would regularly uh, take interviews, reg- regularly make statements. He was not uh, shy in, uh, in terms of appearing to, to the press or to give updates on what was going on with the uh, conflict. and for the past couple of weeks he has indeed um, stopped making those appearance those appearances. So what do you make of this situation?
1: This is extremely interesting. And can I just say I mean we had we've also had a video yesterday, which is I think all of thirty seconds long. I mean I've seen I've seen it. It's very brief. You see Zoluchni, somebody who looks like a Zaluzhani. I'm sure it is Zoluchny, sitting in a sort of desk in a room, talking to someone. We're told it's on the twenty fifth of May. I mean the the people speaking say it's the twenty fifth of May. He doesn't I mean he doesn't look to me like he's had surgery or been injured or anything of that kind. But in a way, that deepens the mystery. Because, you know, if he'd been injured, if he'd been wounded, if he'd been taken to hospital and treated, well, that would provide an explanation for this very strange behaviour. The fact that perhaps he hasn't been wounded, it doesn't seem as if he's been seriously ill or any of these things, I mean, the Ukrainians have never said that he is, begs many more questions. Why is this person who, as you absolutely rightly said, was giving interviews, was making himself very uh, uh, noticeable, was uh, never shy of publicity, was, uh, you know liked to have his photograph taken in all kinds of situations and circumstances, had become something of a sort of media hero in the West, He appeared on the cover of I can't remember which magazine, but anyway, he's he was on the cover of one magazine in the the U.S. You know, the general and all of that. What what's happened to make him, in effect, disappear for well now the better part of three weeks is a very interesting question. And um, if he's not ill, if he's not wounded. Why this change in behaviour? Now, the Ukrainians have provided no explanation for it. Now, you could come up with all kinds of reasons. You could say, well, he's busy, you know, putting the finishing touches to Ukraine's grand strategic master plan to launch this great offensive. And, you know, he's a very busy man and he doesn't have the time to give interviews. Fine. that That's an explanation. If that is the explanation, why have we not been given it? I mean, that's, that's one thing. So, what is the reason for this? Now, in previous programmes, I think we've discussed my own personal view that the Ukrainian military leaders, Zaluzhny, you know, isn't happy with the offensive. He isn't happy with the fight in in Bakhmut. There's lots of reports that he advised pulling back from Bakhmut. He's basically... Gone into a huge sulk and a work to rule, and is absenting himself entirely from the battle. And he isn't attending NATO conferences, which is another thing we didn't mention. I mean, an important NATO meeting with NATO defence ministers and military officials, and he's, he skips that. Supposedly he's gone to a wedding, or so is it a holiday in Cyprus or whatever it is? You know, it could be that he's working to rule. I have to say, this is going on for too long even for that to be a fully convincing explanation, in my opinion. And I'm wondering whether we aren't now seeing some kind of political crisis in uh, Kiev with Zelensky at the centre of it. I mean, it's, there's been rumours for a long time that Zelensky and Zelensky don't get on with each other, that Zelensky gives advice to Zelensky, which Zelensky doesn't want to hear that Zelensky has been trying to find means of sacking Zaluzhny, um replacing him with Sirski. Sirsky is now apparently himself in trouble because he lost the Battle of Bakhmut and his great counterattack there was a failure. So, you know, maybe maybe there's something going on there that the zelensky zeluzhny partnership has basically collapsed, or it could be something deeper still. And... It might be connected, and I'm increasingly thinking it probably is connected, with Zelensky's numerous trips out of Kiev. In one of his recent broadcasts, by the way, Zelensky said that he was soon going to be leaving Ukraine again. So, you know, he doesn't want to be in Kiev. Zeluzny is disappearing. There's now starting to be rumours of unrest within the military. Ahmed might have been you know, the catalyst for all of this, for all I know. So who knows, perhaps what it is, is not so much Zaluzhny, um working to rule as biding his time. <laughs> and we could perhaps be in for a political crisis before long. But the longer this goes on, the more damage it's doing, I suspect, to Ukrainian morale, because Zaluzhny, whatever kind of a general he actually is, I mean, there's been lots of talk, which would lead you to think that he's some kind of military genius. But whether or not he is that, he has become so much a symbol of the Ukrainian military that you know, if if he really is absenting himself from the battle, if he's become like a you know a kind of Achilles who's re- withdrawn to his tent. You know know what I'm referring to. I mean, if he's the hero who won't participate in the battle, then that's going to have a very bad effect on morale. And the longer this goes on, the the greater that effect is going to be.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, remember that incident about maybe a month or two ago with the interior minister? Yeah. And we never really got an understanding yeah. what happened there when that helicopter uh crashed, and the interior minister I believe that's who it was, along with most of his staff from what i understand uh they all died in in that helicopter crash and under very mysterious circumstances uh we we've We've been reporting for a while now that like you said, that Oleksiy and Zelensky never got along. But uh, connect some dots, uh, Alexander. You, you mentioned that Oleksiy doesn't want to be in Kiev. That's obvious. Yes, it's crystal clear. He's he wants to. He wants out of of Ukraine. He wants out. Uh, Sirsky lost the Battle of Bakhmut. Sirsky doesn't want to be associated with this upcoming big offensive. That's clear. Sirsky doesn't want any. Anything to do with this big offensive. Zaluzhny, in whatever state he's in, we don't know. He has also uh, made it clear that, that this offensive is, is something that, that is not going to go over too well. I think he's been talking about how, how an offensive is is not going to go over too well months ago. But yes. obviously Zaluzhny is in whatever, wherever he is, he has made no secret that that he doesn't believe in. In, in a big offensive, at least not in yes. the state that Ukraine's military is uh, is in. We have the Kremlin drone strikes. We have uh, uh, various articles coming from the Collective West saying that Ukraine was behind uh, the Kremlin drone strikes. Ukrainians were behind the Nord Stream sabotage. Uh, we have the incursion in Belgorod. We have people like Budanov. Budanov. Uh, talking to the media more and more and talking about how, how Ukraine is going to, to, con- to continue to push forward with uh, terrorist types of strikes inside of Russia and going after journalists and even political leaders, even Vladimir Putin and Prigozhin They mentioned that uh, that they're going to, to target them as well. Something is going on. And then you have all of this is happening in the backdrop of of Newland, Sullivan, Blinken, Biden, demanding and offensive. Yes, uh, yes. Well, you, you know, you, I mean, you, this, this this is you what's going. What's happening here?
1: We we can just add a few more dots to that because at the time when the interior minister and his officials were were, were killed in that helicopter crash, and there have been lots of rumors ever since that they were actually shot down, that the helicopter was shot down, which have never been proved and never been disproved. As far as we know, whatever investigation there's been, very little information has been provided. I mean, very little indeed. But if you remember, at that time there was a massive purge going on of Ukrainian officials in Kiev, and um, I've studied the people who were getting sacked, and it seemed to me that they were people who were close to Zelensky. I mean, that's what it looked like to me. And you mentioned. And Burns Kievan- made his trip exactly burns made his strip exactly which was all going on at about that time now bear in mind at that time the other you mentioned kirill lubdanov because the, the the culminating point in this purge was supposed to be the sacking of the defense minister alexei Reznikov, and his replacement by kirill lubdanov and we got to the point where uh, a senior member of, I think it was one of Zelensky's own party, a member in the, a member of the Ukrainian Parliament, senior member of the Ukra- uh, Ukrainian Parliament, actually came out and said that the decision had been made, Reznikov was going to be sacked, Budanov was going to take over, uh, um, Resnikov was going to be appointed Minister of Strategic mm-hmm. Development or some, you know incomprehensible thing but Budanov was going to be put in overall charge of the defence ministry and then suddenly it all stopped we we got a meeting between Zelensky and Reznikov Reznikov said he didn't want to go, he was confirmed as defence minister, Budanov remains intelligence chief and the entire purge suddenly ceased it, 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 it came to a complete sudden stop and then Shortly, le- shortly after, um, who turns up in Kiev? No, none other than Joe Biden, President of the United States. He meets with Zelensky. He appears to endorse Zelensky again. He suggests that Zelensky is, you know, the person he wants to um, remain president of Ukraine. And now, a couple of weeks later, we have similar odd things starting to happen, Zaluzhani very unhappy, um, making himself invisible. Two brief videos, one of him speaking to a conference in Odessa, except that apparently there's doubts about that video. The one that was released yesterday, in which, as I said, he seems to be, in effect, removing himself from uh, from the whole situation. Um, As I said, Sierski is far away in Donbass. He's not playing any role at all in the organisational planning of this offensive, as far as I can see. I mean, he clearly has no belief in it. Uh, Or, alternatively, he's been exiled to Bakhmut and its environs, which seems bizarre, actually, given that he's the commander of the ground forces and the number two. And, of course, we have Zelensky now travelling around, going from one place to another all the time, staying away from Kiev as much as possible. And we have Budanov becoming increasingly outspoken. He's on television all the time. He's taking credit, if that's the right word, for all these uh, uh, dodgy things that are going on, and uh, assassination attempts, border incursions, um, terroristic activity. I mean, that's... How I would define it. And um, and you get these mumbling, critical pieces appearing in parts of the US media. Now, I have to say, to me, it looks like a power struggle, a visible sign of a power struggle, with Budanov angling again for some kind of position, a more senior position in the Ukrainian government and perhaps positioning himself against Reznikov, of whom we've seen much less, by the way, also over the last few days, and perhaps ultimately Zelensky himself. Now, I say that there's some who say that Budanov is close to Zelensky, but I do wonder whether, in fact, he's become increasingly... um, He's quite a young man, increasingly headstrong, feels himself in control... He's got all the intelligence and security agencies now working for him apparently and whether he's preparing to make some kind of bid for power because to me all of these very strange signals point to some kind of political crisis in Kiev of some sort.
0: Is it fair to say that we're seeing a shift in, uh, in what's happening in Ukraine as to how they're they're fighting against Russia in that we're seeing the military side of things. I don't want to say lessen or taper off. I'm not exactly sure of the right words here, but we're seeing things shift from a focus on military and military strategy and, um, and, and fighting a conflict with Russia. And it seems like Budanov and the types of activities that, that, that he's been doing. And he's been leading. It seems that those are taking precedent.
1: Yeah, seems I think like they are. That's
0: that's where we're moving towards. And, yes, and I think that... You know what I mean. Bell, bell, kremlin drone strikes. So absolutely. I'm trying to hit Crimea, these types of things.
1: Yes, I, I, I Going think... Going after journalists. I exactly. I think so. Because, but bear in mind that the two, they would probably... Say, if you ask if he would probably say that the two complement each other. Because we've had all of those reports both from, you know, sort of neocon-aligned people in the US, writing articles, and um, people in Ukraine as well. They're basically saying that the whole purpose of this offensive is to strike terror, it's to terrify the Russians, and that the offensive will succeed by paralyzing and panicking the Russian leadership and um, causing the Russian troops to flee, you know, so... Or this kind of psychological behavior that Budanov is undertaking now, it could very well be that what he's basically saying to Zelensky is, you know, throw forget about if it is Zelensky that he's talking to, or you might be deciding things for himself. You might be saying, well, let's not waste time with, you know, proper military strategy anymore. If we do, we all accept that this offensive can't succeed. We've got 30,000 men who've been trained up to a point by the west um that's not a huge force we have a couple of hundred tanks most of which are old soviet tanks we don't have enough infantry fighting vehicles the russians have control of the skies the f-16s are going to come soon enough even billy was saying that today so let's throw out that kind of you know old book war book let's instead do this completely differently let's fight this war through um, propaganda and media manipulation and um, psy- PSYOPs campaigns, trying to scare the Russians, make them think that this offensive when it comes is going to be a huge affair, panic the soldiers, panic the leadership in the Kremlin, panic the commanders, um, and that will be how we will win the war. After all, if we continue to fight it as a war of attrition, we will lose. Sooner or later, we will lose. So at least you Budanov could say, well, this is a strategy. This is, an, this is a means, a possible means to victory. Now, I I'm, I'm, don't for a moment believe he's right, but I could see that it might be appealing, especially after the Bakhmut uh, um, debacle where, as I said, it became very clear that, you know, Ukraine, threw everything it had at Bakhmut, trying to hold on to the place, it then, threw everything it had, trying to break the flanks of the Russian forces, Um, and it failed. And as I mentioned in a number of my videos, um, at one point there were apparently 35 brigades of the Ukrainian army positioned in and around Bakhmut, 27 at another point, you know, it fluctuated, but anyway, scores of brigades, and Ukraine is proposing to carry out this big offensive with just nine. So the commitment that was the commitment that was made in terms of numbers of units to try to capture Pakhomov was actually greater than the numbers of units that have been allocated to this brigade to this offensive. Now, of course, you can't say that. All of these brigades have the same numbers of men and machines. No doubt the ones that are assigned for this offensive have more men and more machines. But I was reading a piece recently which said that, in fact, uh, the brigades that have been put together for the offensive have between two and a half and three thousand men, not the four to five thousand that they should do. So we're not talking about a huge force. Well, there it is. It might be that, you know, if you're losing, if you feel yourself to be losing, your air defence system has run out of missiles. The air defence systems you're getting from the West aren't enough and aren't working. You haven't had many tanks. You haven't had many infantry fighting vehicles. You're suffering enormous losses on the battlefields that you you turn increasingly to the kind of tools that Bouddhanov is suggesting, and one
0: could see how that might carry some kind of traction. No, it makes sense. I mean, I, I, I'm not saying it's something that that's going to work. I'm not saying it's going to panic the Russians or it's going to lead to to a victory in this war by by panicking Russia and, and creating all of this this hysteria. But if if you take a step back, Ukraine cannot win this war. They can't win a war of attrition. That's obvious. Uh Milley came out the other day and he said that the F sixteens are not going to be a game changer and Ukraine is not going to win a war in uh in the air. No. That's the, that comes from Millie himself, so I know, it seems extraordinary we know that, that as he well. would say that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, but he that, said that it. and, and, and he's, he's, right. Right.
1: he's obviously right. I yeah. mean it's extraordinary that he's yeah. saying it just as after they've decided yeah. to supply them. But there you go. I mean,
0: yeah, but it's an admission. They're, they're not yeah, gonna win yeah. that yeah. either. Yeah. Uh, they've lost the economic shock and awe side no. of of the conflict uh, as well. Yeah. So when you take a step back and think of of the collective West, Ukraine, NATO's position in all of this, uh, their air defenses <coughs> are, are are depleted. You know, you think about what is the one area where yes. they have a strength? Yes. Yeah. It's in the media, the yeah, info yeah. war. And, and when you look at it, I know you did a video on this. You look at the information side of the Belgorod incursion. And in the beginning stages, I'm not saying when it was all said and done. In the beginning stages, the first few hours, I don't know what the situation was like inside of Russia. I don't know what the Russian media was reporting. But I'll tell you here in Cyprus and in Greece, there was a large percentage of the population... And a lot of a lot of uh, TV channels that were reporting like the main TV channels were reporting that the Kremlin government was in a state of collapse Ukraine was effectively invading Russia villages were coming under Ukrainian control and this looked like it was going to be the end of the Putin government I mean these are serious reputable <laughs> TV media channels that were buying into this and even a Polish an ex-Polish general bought into this and he made a statement the other day and he said that as we see the collapse of the Putin government because of this Belgrade incursion so too will the Belarus government collapse with the same type of incursion so people bought into this absolutely they completely did Uh, once uh, again I'm not saying Budanov's strategy is going to work because I don't know how Russians were seeing this this Belgorod incursion and, and the whole media hype but outside in the first few hours once again i stress the first few hours the media war was was convincing people that the putin government and the russian federation was under some sort of state of revolution
1: yes absolutely and in fact it's the media in the in Britain at least, is continuing to run with much of this, by the way. I mean, uh, uh, there's an article today in The Telegraph talking about the next Russian revolution, and it's very, very largely connected to the events that you've described. And if you you go and look at all the various pieces that made up the information war campaign, which was completely, very carefully organised... It was certainly not spontaneous. It was absolutely part, of, went hand in hand with this attack on Belgorod. I mean, it was an extraordinary, so extraordinarily sophisticated and very large operation. I mean, you know, you got reports that a Russian helicopter had been shot down, that a Russian town had been occupied, that um, the um, Ukrainians had dug in into several places and <laughs> were in control of them that hostages had been taken, that, uh, that they were all over the place. You know, drones, Ukrainian drones were flying overhead, dropping you know, these small little grenades, bomblets. But it created the impression that the fighting was over a much wider area than it in fact was. And as you absolutely rightly said, for a couple of hours, on the first day, it looked as if something big was happening. I mean, and if you go back about two weeks before when Ukraine started its counterattack in Bakhmut, you saw the same thing happen, actually. For the first couple of hours, (laughs) the internet was flooded with stories of big Ukrainian advances and breakthroughs and uh, Russian forces turning and fleeing in front of the Ukrainians and things of that kind. And again, it's clear that there was an information campaign underway. So, yes, you can see you can see that it does have an effect. Now, I don't think it's going to work, and I don't think it's going to work because the Russians themselves, the Putin government, the general staff, the Russian military, understand that that is part of Ukraine's toolkit. I, I have to say, though, that though the Russians know it and that they're probably able to counter it at a military level, their own counter-information strategies remain as terrible as always. I mean, you know, going back to Belgorod, it's was about a whole day passed before the Russian Ministry of Defence actually came out with a statement about it. And by that time, that statement, all it said was, you know, there was this incursion and we drove it back and most of the people who were involved on the Ukrainian side were killed. So that was a whole day of stories coming out from Ukraine, and this terse, in some ways rather unhelpful statement um, coming out afterwards. Um, it shows that the Russians are still hopeless at this sort of thing.
0: Yeah. So uh, just to wrap it up, elensky um, Al- doesn't want to be in uh, in Ukraine. He's, uh, he's outside of the country. Zoluzhty is, is fading away. Once again, whatever state he's in, we don't know, but he's definitely fading uh, out of the scene. We're seeing a shift in, uh, in tactics from the Collective West and from Ukraine. And keep in mind that a lot of the media operations are being run by the Collective West and yes. by the three-letter agencies yes. who are very, very good at uh, this stuff. And so someone has to fill this, this, this hole that we, that we have in Ukraine, and it looks like Budanov is that person that is absolutely. filling this, this gap.
1: Uh, absolutely. I, that, that's how it looks to me. And I would go back to those American leaks, you know, they you know, the, the, you know, the disapprove of all of this activity. They disapprove of it, or so they say. But, of course, they allow it to happen. And they never take any action to bring it to a stop. So um, they are in effect complicit in things that they disapprove of and which they say are wrong. Now, I can't help but think increasingly that far from being real disapproval, that tells Budanov that he has complete impunity to go on doing what he likes. And I wonder whether that also means that there are some people in Washington who quietly support and approve of what he's doing and are perhaps helping him to do it. So, you know, bear bear that in mind too. It does seem to me that over the last few weeks, Budanov's star has been very much in the ascendant in Ukraine. Um, Zoluzhny, as you rightly say, seems to be fading. So does What, well, However good... As generals, they were, something I'm not able to judge. They were conventional military officers. I mean, they fought wars like military officers, generals would do. Budanov is different. He he, he he seems to think, what shall we say, outside the box, sometimes in very alarming ways, sometimes in very crazy
0: and dangerous ways. Yeah, he comes off as a very sinister character, but I you know, think just so. just no, want I to get so. to wrap it up. I mean, um, yeah, he looks very sinister. Uh, you know, the other day, Welt, the German publication, they ran an interview with the deputy uh, minister of uh, of defense. I forgot the guy's name, but he came out on on a German publication and said, "We we are absolutely trying to assassinate Russian President Vladimir Putin I and Prigozhin and other Russian politicians." I mean, I the West is. Is, is going yeah. along with this and, and they are yes. encouraging it. And of course, we've, we've had Lindsey Graham on many occasions talk about um, assassinating the, the Russian president. So there's no doubt that, that the West is, while they're, while they're saying they don't approve of these things, they're also pushing these things forward. It seems like they understand that the only war they can win is this type of, uh, of
1: war. Yes, and of course it's, it's, one, it is incredibly dangerous. Secondly, it is completely wrong. You know, let's be clear about it. It's politically wrong. It's morally wrong too. I mean, this kind of thing one should never do. Bear in mind that the Allies during the Second World War never made any attempts to involve themselves in assassination attempts on the senior members of the German leadership, with one exception, which is that the, the British... Um, um, played a big role in organising the murder of Heydrich, um, who was the head of the um, of the SR, not the 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 SD, the um, German Security and Intelligence Service, and was a very sinister and terrible man. But other than that, they made no attempts to organise the assassination of the political leadership of Germany, because they didn't think it was the right thing to do. They thought it would be politically wrong and um i think they also had moral qualms about that we don't seem to have that anymore we have we we've we've crossed that political and moral red line we pretend to disapprove of these things but in fact we are happy to see them happen and i get to say further that this is a desperate thing i mean it, 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 if The West, deep down, really believed it was winning in Ukraine. It would not go down into the filth with this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it's been an evolutionary process, though. When you look at Saddam to Gaddafi and then... um, they tried to do the same to, to Assad and to it, it has been an evolution, taking out world leaders. And, and I think they did cross that line in Libya. I mean, I think yeah. that was when they oh, crossed so. the line. And they said, Absolutely. now it's okay to, hmm. to take out uh, world leaders in this kind of way.
1: Well, what was it, what, what was it Hillary Clinton said? He, we, he, we came, we, we saw came. he died. And this after he was visibly uh, the, 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 murdered in the most brutal way. And it, on, and televised. I mean, it was all done, you know, on film. I mean, it's just a terrible thing, what she, what she said. And you're absolutely right. I mean, we have lost our moral compass. This is on so much else.
0: All right. We will uh, end it there. duran.locals.com. We are on Rumble. Odyssey, Bitch Shoot, and Telegram. And go to the Duran shop. 10% off. Use the code. Good day. Take care.